Greetings and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it's time to bring the orange yet again with Farhan Ebrol, Head of Machine Learning in Pure One. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Hey, great to have you here and really intriguing title, Head of Machine Learning. What does that mean from a, from a pure perspective? What kind of things are you working on? Yeah, I think it's a relatively new thing to come by in the maybe the past, you know, five to 10 years yeah. of even this title existing. And the goal is basically to say we have a bunch of data that we have in Pure One. And um, my goal is to try to use that to provide value to the customer at the end of the day. In this case, the easiest way to really wrangle that data is to use machine learning yeah. to get to that insight. And so that's really my charter is to say, all right, figure out what we can do to improve our customer's life. And machine learning just happens to be the best way to do that today. That's a great backdrop because really what we're, we're trying to get across folks here is, you know, what is that customer experience that mm -hmm. we can deliver and drive right. by allowing them to share the data of, of what they're doing uh, operationally. But before we dive in, because it's a really intriguing topic, um, I'm always interested in the journey. How'd you get here? You know, people don't just kind of wake up and go, hey, I'm going to be a machine learning expert. Yeah, like, that's like, what was the journey? Where, where, very what fair. What you used to do or, or education? I'm just, just so curious. My focus was, I uh, started off very deep in physics and uh, math, and that kind of led to, okay, well, this is great, but it's quite theoretical. How do I kind of make this a little more practical? Yeah. And that's what led me to machine learning. I did a bunch of research in machine learning, but it was still early days for it in the industry. So uh, I kind of wanted to first figure out, okay, how do we actually build systems and ship things in production? Right, Which right. machine learning wasn't really at. It was a lot of research. Yeah. Uh, and so to deal with that part, I went off and you know, worked at a few companies as a software engineer. I joined Pure a uh, long, long time ago in our history. Like how many years in our history? Six and six, a little over six so years. So that's really long. I mean, that's like, right. a, you know, been around 10 years. For so Silicon Valley terms, it's very long. Right, right. But what was it like when you started? When right. So when I started, again, I was, uh, I built uh, one of our early HA systems okay. to try to make uh, resiliency guarantees. So the goal being, how do we guarantee that the big uptime numbers that we sell on, these were the systems that make that possible mm -hmm. to guarantee that we don't lose data when we have certain really rare corner cases happen to really make the system bulletproof at the end of the day. And this is where we get some of our six, nine, you know, kind of that's, measured, right? Measured, that's not the synthetic measure. in a lab. It's something where we actually collected and pulled in data and went, right. yeah, we're monitoring all these systems. What do we say? Right. Trillions of data points. Something is that a big, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. It's many, many, many petabytes of yeah. data that we yeah. get and trillions of data points. So that's what the early days were, was trying okay. to sort of build the system to be really resilient uh, and it was a much smaller company. Yeah. Right? And the amount of data coming in was also small. But from that initial get-go, from the day I joined, there was always this vision that had been set out from the very start that, hey, look, we think there's a lot of value in getting the telemetry about what's going on mm -hmm. back to the cloud so that we can someday use this to provide a lot of value. So that's been ingrained in the way we do things from day one, right? Cloud Assist and the early name for Pure One has been around since the inception of the product. Yeah. Right? We've always had this cloud-connected notion. And there was always the long-term vision of today is just so we can collect stats and understand, you know, debug when we were shipping the first systems. Right. But the long-term vision was always take this data and reflect it back to give customers the value at the end of the day. Were there any hurdles early on, right? So, I mean, everybody's got data, right? How, how willing are you to share 
and phone home and just go, yeah, take everything that we're doing and analyze it in some aspect? Was there some level of trust that needed to be built up or prove it to me? Or, or were, were, were customers generally kind of willing and said, hey, if you can deliver, and maybe it's more about delivering value on the other end. What are you going to do for me? Right. If I open this up and let you have vision into what, what we're doing. Right. And so the first thing that was very important to clarify to customers at the time, and maybe we can use the other proof point that every single vendor since then has copied and has the yeah. exact same solution, right. Right. is that A, we're not collecting data about you know what you're actually storing. We have none of that. All we have is telemetry about how the product is actually doing. So these are all sensors that say things like, you know, how our internal sensors are doing, how our, you know, non-volatile RAM is doing, what kind of bandwidth is it getting, what kind of throughput is it getting. So there's all these metrics that at the end of the day are telemetry about how it's being used mm -hmm. as opposed to what data you're, you're actually storing. You're not getting actual data. Yeah, I asked the question probably right. No, but that's, that's but, really right, important yeah, because right. when people hear, oh, you're sending stuff to the cloud, their immediate gut reaction is to say, oh, no, I don't want anything to get out of my data center. But the point is we worked hard to convince people, look, this is actually the only parts we want and here's all the value you get. Yeah. To your point, the real value they immediately felt was support, right? Could proactively call them about something going wrong before an issue actually hitting. And so very quickly people started realizing, hey, there's a lot of value in this and I'm not losing any security. So we worked really hard to mm -hmm. also beef up the security for the transport layer. Uh, and we have our own custom you know, transport protocol that we implemented. Uh, on the client side, of course, we use standard security. We don't re-implement security. Yeah. The worst thing to do with security. Yeah, you don't want to do that. We don't right. want to do that. Uh, but we made sure to beef that up. Okay. So people's trust happened over time, and then they saw the value in it, in just getting the telemetry and how much we could do with just that, um, which led to us uh, you know, really paving the way. And a lot of other systems have now followed suit because everyone wants to provide the value. We just ingrained it into our culture from the very start so people were more comfortable with it than other customers are. Does that value provide the cost justification, right? Because my brain goes right to, you're collecting all those data points. It has to live somewhere. You have to finance the build out of where you're going to store that, the personnel to do the analysis, the, you know, the, 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 data, uh, the code to do the machine learning. But I think the, you, know, you look at the, the customer value in the end, does that provide the justification for the cost internally and in what we would I do? I think for us, there's so many things that it gives us. Yeah. And even for the customer, at the end of the day, everything we're doing is for them, right? The first thing is just to have a single place to see all of your arrays, mm -hmm. right, which you wouldn't have otherwise. One place that's always online, an independent failure domain from your array itself, which is also a big thing to have. Yeah. If the array is down and you can't see the UI, well, then I can't do anything, Yeah. right? <laughs> So having an independent point of discovery and visibility is really critical in systems like this that are you know, largely deployed and have high availability. Secondly, then, once you have that, um, I think for us, the dividends have been just enormous. Right? Yeah. And we saw the long term. And so we started, we're starting off just helping support do their job, right? So they can actively understand when something is going on. They can see all the arrays. They can see what's going on um, in near real time, which is extremely valuable, as opposed to having to zoom into the customer's array, right, getting a tunnel in and being able to edit stuff there, which is not needed for a lot of troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. That's the other part is we're not, we're actually helping reduce the number of times that we need to go into the array to do something when all we need is telemetry to solve a problem. And so I think the cost was more than justified with yeah. just the support things we could do. But on top of that, now we've added all the other layers of machine learning that we can do to reflect back to the customer and help them utilize their arrays better, help them plan for growth better, help them give them insights on when they need to change things in their environment. 
And that's really kind of the evolution that you've seen as new things like VM analytics have come out and right. the workload planning capability, right? I mean, that's that's what you're able to add right. when you have all that data. That's all enabled you know, by to, having that fundamental data layer built that we can analyze and quickly turn it around into value for customers at the end of the day. What would you say relative to how you determine the balance, the the uh, amount of data or the frequency that you're do, doing data collection, right? Because there's some intelligence behind that or some learnings that you guys figured out early on. Right. I think the the general guidance is always to collect as much as possible, early okay. as possible, yeah. and then trim it down, Okay. which is how we approach this as well. To start, we were collecting all the logs that we generated, our, our process generates, right? That's monitoring how the system's doing and everything we could shove up to the cloud we did. Because at the end of the day, that is where, you know, the gold is. It's somewhere in there, right. but you don't know where it is to start. And so I would guide that when you're starting off a project about trying to gather insights from data, you want to get as much data as possible and not sample or try to reduce the dimensionality just to start, just in terms of collection. Just start big. Just don't, so don't, you have yeah, it. Right, right. Right. Because there's no going back. Once you've lost that data, you're not getting it back. Right. Once the moment is passed on our arrays, we're never getting the telemetry back of, hey, here's an incident that happened three years ago at this one array that looks exactly like what's about to happen to this mm -hmm. other array. If we didn't collect that, we're never going to get it. Yeah. Right. If we've discovered tomorrow, for instance, hey, there's this one pathology that can be traced by looking at these three kinds of logs that we've never looked at because we had no need to, but now we know that they were actually early indicators of something going wrong. If we hadn't collected those things, there's no way we could go back and verify that this fix actually works. Yeah. And so, again, it's a little bit of a trade-off, but generally the, the, the path should look like at the start, collect everything you can, start gathering some insights, and once you do, then go back and cull what you don't perhaps need. Okay. Right, because the signal that you can get is only going to come out once you actually are able to analyze. But you may not know that you don't need something that you don't need, if I've said that right too, right? So yeah. if you don't, I think what you've said is really, if you don't collect it, you don't know that you don't need it, right? Something right. that you may have seen three years ago manifests itself as another failure mechanism happening currently, Right. but you may not have known that you needed and, that. And your point when, is, right? is very important, right? It's, a, it's at the end of the day, it's a cost benefit analysis that you have to do, but with the data collection portions being cheap, they're getting cheaper by the day. Yeah. And so collection shouldn't be the the big hurdle to start. And you can always optimize it later. That's the key thing is people get into the notion of I have to build the best ingest system. I have to build the best pipeline. I have to build all these things before I actually get to the point of providing any value to my customer. Right. The point is build lean and get to the point of showing someone value out of what you have. And it's going to be expensive to start perhaps, right. or it's going to be non-optimal to start, but you can always optimize that. The thing you want to get to is demonstrating value to the customer and then optimizing the pipelines that go there, as opposed to building the perfect pipeline and then having nothing to do with, yeah. with the data that you collect. And it's kind of like we say, the data is, the data is where the value is. Right. So go evolve and figure out what to do with it over time. Right. But right. build enough pipelines that okay. you can actually iterate on that part, as opposed to just iterating on the ingest piece yeah. and the pipelining. Like focus enough to be able to iterate on the parts that really provide value as opposed to first optimizing the parts that just get you the data there. Okay. It's good advice. Yeah. yeah do the simple and this. dumb thing always first. Right. <laughs> and then do the smart thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Very good advice. Well, you, you've mentioned a couple of times about the, the data landing and mm -hmm. even kind of alluded to cloud. So when we do this, where where and how does the data land? And I guess that's probably something that's evolved over time as our technologies have evolved, you know, different products, 
uh, availability of cloud services, things like that. But how, you know, how does that work now? How did that right. used to work? I guess that's a loaded multi-part question. Yeah, right? it's been a, it's quite a, quite a journey, yeah. as you can imagine. Again, when anyone's starting out, I'll go back to the same principle, do the thing that's cheap and easy to mm-hmm. do, right? And in our case, that meant start in the cloud. Yeah. So we had cloud endpoints within one cloud provider to start. And we said, all right, what's the quickest way to get this off the ground? We built it in one cloud provider. We shipped it so the data lands into this one particular endpoint in the cloud provider and then we build a bunch of processing pipelines on top of it um, a lot of the focus and a lot of times people don't realize is some of the best value that we get out of data is to be able to process it in line mm. so just saying hey there's an endpoint in the cloud somewhere uh, that the data gets phoned home to and then just sits somewhere inside a storage you know unit say amazon's case it would be s3 yeah. or blob store or whatever if all you did was take that data and sh- just store it there, it's really not that valuable. There's a lot of work that usually has to be done to process that into a form that it can then be effectively used for either offline analysis, for training models, or for online detection, right? So, And, and that was kind of going to be my next question is right. like, is this a raw dump or is there actually some things that are going on as, you know, as right. this comes in? Yeah, so there's a lot of nuance there, and we can get into that. Yeah, but right, to, right, to finish right. the question you sure, asked earlier, sure. right? The mm-hmm. initial pattern is always to go the simple way that we can, and that was to build out the cloud-based platform that you know the data gets to the endpoint in the cloud, we process it all in the cloud, and we come up with some results that are then shown to the user again through our cloud portal, right. which is Pure One, and that was the end of it to start. Now, over time, as we evolved the size of the data and the amount of computation we had to do. We realized that A, not the same cloud provider was best for doing the job, and B, it sometimes didn't make sense to be in the cloud at some yeah. at some scaling point, right? But you want to get to that scaling point in our case. When you have a small team that's trying to build out, you know, an entire cloud product, you want to start there. But over time we realized that okay, the economics don't quite work out for certain workloads in the cloud. So over time we've evolved it to put certain chunks either over direct connect into our own data center or directly try to write it into our data center so that we can do more offline batch processing Mm -hmm. over those things. Whereas keeping the sort of real-time pipelines that we need to do in the cloud for now. Okay. So kind of a hybrid approach, right? I mean, you know, if you look at that. I think that's the, where the world is at the end of the day, there's no one right answer. This is what I guide everyone, including ourselves, that having learned from this is that don't think of it as an approach of, okay, I want to put it in the cloud wholeheartedly or I want to put it on-prem wholeheartedly. The point is data has gravity and data has different uses. Mm -hmm. Not everything should be in one place. And the beauty of where systems are today is that there is a lot of easy mobility that you can achieve. And so you should. Like there's certain data, if I want to process on a bunch of GPUs, petabytes of data, it's going to cost cost me like an arm and a leg to do it in, in a cloud provider. Whereas if I want to like run a small set of servers that's serving a web app, I should absolutely do it in the cloud provider, right? right and right. the little small data stores it needs to service the app itself. So it's all about realizing you have the ability to make the right choice and exercising that and saying, all right, I'm going to put the things I really need to hard computation on. I need security on. I need long-term provenance of the data. I'm going to put it in my data center. And there's things that I don't are kind of ephemeral or directly attached to cloud web apps or our small stores that I don't need that kind of manageability or scale on, I can keep in the cloud side of things. Hmm. So having that mindset from the very start really helps when you're making architectural decisions. When and how how did you realize you'd hit that tipping point, right? When you you guys were kind of, you know, pure cloud, 100% cloud, 
When did when did when did that realization kind of the sink realization in? like was it was it just a all of a sudden you got one of the bills and we're like okay this is a lot of money we we need to explore yeah let's look at what it would be on prem versus right. that trade off or was it something else? Uh, it was absolutely the bill. It was the the, the hardest <laughs> thing with the- Amazon <laughs> or any cloud provider. They're all the same in terms of this aspect is costs balloon really quickly. Yeah. Because you can have runaway jobs and they're elastic, which means, sure, if you want to want to store 100 terabytes, you can, but we're going to charge you for it. Of course. And you don't get any unit economics. They're making all the money on every unit economic that you're putting in. So it's really useful for doing quick and cheap things. But at scale, as our number of arrays started to grow that we shipped to the field, as the number of things we started to do with the data to provide value started to grow, you know, we realized we were doing like six, seven reads of the same data and we were being charged every time. Every time. Yeah. And that was just killing us in terms of cost. And we had to transfer data multiple times between different formats, and each of those was charging us. So it quickly became this sort of bubble that every every month our bill would grow by like, you know, a multiplier, and that was becoming a problem. So it was the exponential nature of it really when you I mean, you know, if you yeah. do well as a company, it's a good problem to no, have. No, it's a great problem. No, it's just, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, a great yeah. problem to have, but it was a problem. Yeah. And that's really what made us take a hard look at okay, what are the workloads that we need to be here? You know, and how much trade-off can we get by moving some of them off? Okay, got it. Talk about uh, a little bit. I'm interested in kind of the, the the different ways that we analyze the data. Like what is what is set up when we bring data in? Just, I mean, go through a, a scenario. Right. Um, you know, is there things that are automatic? Are you guys running ad hoc things? Like right. what, what what exactly are you, are you doing once once we get things in? It doesn't have to be comprehensive, right. but just an example or two, you know. Yeah, I think it's... Fair question, right? Oftentimes people put it as this nebulous, okay, we're going to get data and we're going to get insights. Yeah. It's like, great. That's a great goal to have. Step one, get how data. Are you gonna Step actually... two, silence. Step three, insights. Step three, right? profit. It's yeah. not going to happen. Step three, profit. Yeah, you've seen that episode of South Park too. Right. Got it. But <laughs> here the thing is, so in general, right, the first thing I tried to think I said earlier, the first thing you want to do is enable people to actually analyze the data. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you want to do and this theme will reoccur throughout what I'm saying is provide access to the data, right? So if you have a data lake and the data comes in and you just store it as a bunch of text files, right? In some bucket, S3 bucket or blob store or whatever. And you say, all right, I'm going to hire a data scientist. And they're like, the hell am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, It takes them three hours to run a simple like word count over the whole thing because the infrastructure you've set up doesn't exist. Those are the kind of things that are going to really hinder value add, right? So the first thing you want to do is provide access to the data that's makes it feel pliable and makes it feel like a data scientist or an analyst, you know, data scientist is just, you know, 21st century term for a statistician right. or data analyst at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but the difference is usually the scale they're operating at is slightly different. So yeah. they're used to a tool set that's used to, that's built for built for analyzing data at a scale that wasn't previously, you know, it's not Excel. Yeah. It's not Excel CSV limits. It's by default, almost always going to be much larger than that. Right. And so you want to build enough infrastructure that they can actually analyze it. Right. And you want to enable your data scientists to do their job well. So the first things that we do is, you know, when data lands, the first thing you're going to always have to build is either online or offline processing of that data to make it a more structured format, because in no universe have I seen someone be so perfect that the data they send home is ready to be analyzed. Yeah. Right? So the first thing you have to build is pipelines that 
are transformers of the raw data into some structured format that you can then analyze. That system can be online or offline, depending on how, you know, how frequent you want to do it. To start, you could just build it as, all right, all the data gets dumped and we run a cron job once a day, right? To just take this stuff and it's a bunch of Python scripts that just take it and transform it, right? Start simple always. Um, or if you're already at scale with these days, it's easy to say, all right, I'm going to start with a Spark cluster that's going to start processing at scale today, which is not something we had available in 2014 right. at scale. It wasn't that easy to say, okay, set up, set me up, please, a like 20 node Spark cluster that can process this stuff. And there we were like, all right, we're going to put a Python script on a box and see how much it can handle. <laughs> but today you can say, all right, to start off, I'm going to give you, again, why we started in the cloud, give me an EMR cluster, mm -hmm. Elastic MapReduce cluster that's going to run me a Spark job that's going to transform all my data, right, once a day, say. Once you've reached that point, where does it land? The place you want to land is what people call a data lake or million data warehouse, whatever you want to call it. It's evolved over time. Right. Yeah. The goal being it's a place where a person whose job it is to try to understand what's going on with the customer and with the data can interface with it and effectively query it. That's the goal. And access all of it, right? And access you don't want it off in different little right. The main thing is it needs to be one place where okay. they can say, I want to do a table join between like all the incidents I saw of this type that are, you know, my support team is dealing with. And I want to be able to join that with the actual logs that I'm getting in from the array that tell me that this particular incident had just hit, right? You want the people to be able to ask questions that join those two data sources in mm. one place. Okay. Now, of course, this is harder said than done as you evolve and it scales and so on. But the more value you can, you can always extract more value, the better your integration of sources at the end of the day, which is why, you know, there's lots of third-party SaaS providers whose entire value add is to say on top of the cloud providers, we're just going to be your data lake. Yeah. Our job is to take the like 15 sources you have of data and put it into one place. So you can do a join across like your IT teams table and your product table and your engineering tables. It's like an Uber aggregation kind of engine or something, right? Right. Yeah, and there's, like uh, I mean, as many of example, I, I don't need to name no. specific SaaS no, companies, but yeah. there are yeah. plenty out oh, yeah. there. If you just Google data warehouse, I'm sure you'll see there's a, lot. Uh, yeah. a milieu of those. But the goal being, again, start with the data, try to get quickly into, remember that you have to process it. So you have to remember to build the portion that processes it and try to get it to a point where it's easily accessible and people can run queries. The thing you want is the, the, is the, the time it takes for someone to sit down and say, okay, I want to answer this question. You know, how many customers have hit this particular kind of incident in their log in the last 30 days, right? Simple question. If answering that question takes me two days, I'm not going to be able to focus on generating the insights that I need yeah. at the end of the day. Right. And so focusing on providing an interface that can work with the data easily is, I think, the, the first thing to try to get to. Okay. Now, of course, there's sampling that you can do to reduce sure, the size, sure. but ease of use is critical. Okay. Don't give people text files and say, all right, figure out what's happening across the 50,000 text files and run a big crap over them. Yeah, your keep it simple theme is kind of weaving its way through right. know, something that's actually really kind of complex when you get right. down to it. But it sounds like the more simplicity you apply to this, the more effective that, that, that you can be. Right. At the end of the day, you want to keep it simple at the interfaces. So you want to mm -hmm. keep it simple in terms of how it's consumed, right? Okay. If you have data analysts and scientists, give them a SQL table to start with. 
like work to get the data into structure that they can actually consume and simply, you know, analyze. You don't have to hire a PhD machine learning person, right, for a job that a data analyst who yeah. can understand SQL can do really well. Right. It's just that the default that we've been trained to recently is to say, oh, we have big data, so it must be analyzed with these really complex tooling systems. You want to get there, but that shouldn't be day zero. Yeah. Day zero should be get it into a simple format that you can understand and start navigating your data set. Once you reach a place of saying, okay, now I want to analyze a larger thing, then you evolve it to say, now I'm going to go off and you know implement Spark so I can analyze it at scale and I can really start getting a lot of insights from it. Yeah. To what extent, when we look at the on-premises scenario, to what extent does our own infrastructure assist in speeding up a lot of these activities that are going or make it easier or streamlined? Um, when you look at what, what arrays that we might land all this data on when we use things on-prem. Right. So our main goal to put stuff on-prem was to A, try to deal with this read amplification problem that we were getting and B, try to easily have different parts of our system access the same data sources mm -hmm. quickly. Okay. So one of the main value adds we get with, you know, putting stuff on a unified object store is that we can have different sources now read the same store and have it really effective at providing high bandwidth to all of the different readers. How we don't pay every time. Yeah. Every time anyone tries to read it. Um, and having that, that that's only really possible if the underlying data store is really fast at the end of the day, because now you have like 10 readers trying to read from the same thing. So that becomes a requirement for work, what kind of arrays we land the data onto. Mm -hmm. And the other part that is really effective is we can do transforms and use the same underlying data store to store the transform data set, okay. right? And run different applications against that data set that's sitting on the same data store. Uh, so that really helps to run, for instance, our pipeline that processes data, right, is reading and writing from the same place that our long-term GPU for model training is using the same data store, right? So there's no mo movement of data between, okay, we need to move from here to this other array somewhere else uh, and then be able to use GPUs there. Right? Yeah. Or I need to move this into my Spark cluster that's sitting somewhere else and then process the data over there. So it really helps keep data gravity in one place yet providing a lot of bandwidth so we can actually run different applications over the same underlying data source. But keeping it simple with that kind of, again, that unification that you've talked about, right? Having right. one access point right. to be able to um, get to it. What about the, the, we started kind of early on actually, and maybe that's a good way to take it full circle relative to the, um, the customer satisfaction aspects. I mean, are mm -hmm. these things, you know, you guys are in engineering, but these are things I assume that trickle down through to you, right? Where you hear the success stories about just really excited and happy customers. Right. Are those, those kind of, any of those things stand out to you? Are there any really, is there an right. interesting anecdote relative to that where you guys found something that was really interesting that, that really had a big impact? Right. I mean, I think it's, it happens day in and day out yeah. with, you know, our proactive fingerprint engine, the whole goal is for us to say, all right, we found something interesting over here and it's going to hit all the other customers soon, right? So there's particular applications we found where on one customer, we'd see a particular spike and we'd say, oh, here's a problem that we think is caused by, and it was caused by, you know, one of the applications being a new version of it running at the customer site mm -hmm. and it leading to a certain pattern change in what was happening. And our arrays uh, were then, you know, reaching some critical limits because of that change in pattern. 
And we detected it on one customer. And then we, we were able to go to other customers running that similar load and say, hey, by the way, we have detected that this is happening. And we were able to run a fingerprint over all of our customer base and say, hey, by the way, this application that you're running, we think what's going to happen as you update, you're going to run into this specific issue. And so we prevented a bunch of outages by learning from any one particular incident that happened. And that specific case repeats itself many, many times over, where we'll see a particular pathology happen at, a, at one customer. And oftentimes, a lot of things we deal with are not actual array problems because our arrays are highly reliable. Oftentimes, it's how they're used mm -hmm. and the interconnects with the other system, right? Because it's the ecosystem at the end of the day. And oftentimes, the focus we have is on helping and understanding the ecosystem and providing a better way to use the ecosystem for all of our customers because we detected something right. that was going on on our side that actually is a problem with one of the ecosystem things. And so that was really interesting. It was not an initial thought you know, when we were building a system. The goal for me when we first built these was, okay, we're going to help identify issues on our side and right. make sure those are replicated. But really, we're realizing most of the things we fix are environment problems that are shared by a lot of our customers, but we end up being the detection point for a unified way to find those. Yeah, I love that you use the word pathology. You guys are, you, your team is almost, you're a bunch of data doctors. I mean, that's right? you're what- You're data doctors, right? You're that's diagnosing. That's what support likes to yeah. call themselves. And I doctors. think it's true. You're diagnosing things and then and then fixing them and then and even preventative medicine, right? I mean, that is the goal. Always be preventative. Yeah, as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's let's wrap it. Maybe summarize with um, you know because this has all been about you know building a predictive support system. Uh, give me your give me your top couple of rep recommendations. I mean, you've always you've already said keep it simple and dumb, right? right. At the beginning, but uh, other recommendations for for enterprises out there that are looking to do the same type of thing and, and adopting AI to do to do support. Right. I would say the the first thing is make sure you've built access to data. That's number one, right? Build a system that to start just gets data in the hands of the people that can analyze it. That'd be the first and most important thing to get. Then don't optimize for scale before you've demonstrated value. This is going back mm, to mm -hmm. simple and dumb, yeah, yeah. right? Optimize for insights, optimize for value before optimizing for cost or optimizing for anything else. And then I'll come back to it. Keep it simple on the yeah, analysis yeah. side. On the analysis side, start simple. Start with building linear regressors for a certain correlation. Start by transforming data just to have it in a... If you join two tables from different parts of your org, you might just discover, oh, this is amazing. All I need to do is join these two things and I came up with an insight that I didn't have previously. You don't have to build a model, right? But as you start down the path, start simple. Build linear regressors. Build things you can understand and interpret before building models that you can't understand and interpret. Before you, and you will get this with a lot of, you know, recent graduates from machine learning programs is they're being taught the sort of bleeding edge of, okay, use deep neural nets for everything. Deep neural nets have a place and a time. If you want to do, you know, well, we use them for specific like time series analysis mm -hmm. that we do where it's high dimensional data that's hard to wrap our heads around. Or if you're using image recognition, et cetera. But don't start there. To start, understand what are the categories I want to tag let me try to first get those out. Let me try to understand what, how they relate. What are the dynamics of my data? So do an exploration of your data as structured as possible before you start throwing the kitchen sink at the problem and saying, do it for me. Um, I think that's generally machine learning principles, but it especially applies here. Awesome. Great insights. Thanks for, that was a great wrap on, uh, 
on a, a pretty good, you know, really detailed conversation. I mean, that was really good, simple Hopefully, insights for folks to go off, right? And, and I hope it's helpful at, at the end of the day from I'm sure it is. all the mistakes and learnings we've made along the way in building out this system. Uh, at the very least, hopefully people can learn from it and yeah. not do it the other way. Yeah, and we'll keep we'll keep delivering that good value to uh, to customers with that predictive support and all the other value add things that you're doing. We don't even have time to get into right. You know some of those other workload analysis things. We'll have to have you uh, have you back on the program again. Yeah, this we was, can focus this was super fun. We can focus more on the machine learning aspects, what we do, and how we really transitioned from being the initial you know fingerprint based the the simple rule based systems into. Mm -hmm really turning it around into being really machine learning and AI driven systems. Yeah, we could probably do a whole thing around the fingerprints in general, right? Right. As long as we don't give up, give up IP, you know, yeah. the secret sauce around that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um, Farhan Brawl, great insights. And thanks everybody for listening. If you want to get more information on all the things that we are doing on uh, Pure One, what we've discussed here today, as well as even more, uh, you can go to purestorage.com slash Pure One, we've got the vanity URL set up for that. And uh, go learn more about Meta. Go learn more about VM Analytics and all the other value-added features there, including uh, predictive support that we provide if you want to see what we can do when you are running a pure array uh, in your environment. Um, and with that, we'll go ahead and wrap for Pure Storage and Far Hunter Brawl. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. <laughs>